Welcome to In-House Legal with attorney Paul Boynton. It's everything in-house, legally speaking. Technology, business practices, trends, and controversies important to corporate counsel. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to In-House Legal. I'm attorney Paul Boynton, and I've covered the in-house community for over six years as a legal journalist, and I'll have my own media consultancy. Today's show is sponsored by Huron Consulting Group and Council on Call. Earlier this year, the First Circuit stymied the IRS in its ongoing effort to attack aggressive corporate tax shelters. The court, in a sharply divided 2-1 panel ruling, determined that internal documents of Rhode Island-based Textron didn't have to be given to the IRS because they are protected by the attorney work product privilege. The disputed documents detail Textron's use of tax shelters and project potential legal battles with the IRS and the amount of money to set aside in the event the government prevails. The government fought back with a long-shot request that the full court consider the case, and lo and behold, the First Circuit has agreed to reconsider the three-member panel's decision. Oral argument before the entire court is set for June 2nd. Now, many public companies work with auditors on a regular basis, and they produce documents that have a dual business and legal purpose as a result, much like the documents in the Textron case. Sometimes securities laws require companies to create these documents as well. The government argues that these so-called dual-purpose documents shouldn't be shielded from disclosure. Joining me today is Attorney Brian Bixby of Burns and Levinson to help assess the important issues in the Textron case, including the scope of how much information companies need to divulge to the IRS and perhaps other government regulators. Brian is a partner at Burns and Levinson in Boston, where he specializes in tax law and estate planning. He is a former chair of the Massachusetts Bar Association's Taxation Law Section Council. Welcome to the show, Brian. Well, thanks. Well, Brian, this uh, case, the Textron case uh, in the First Circuit, is gaining national attention. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, what is the case all about, and, and why do in-house lawyers in particular need to pay attention to the outcome of it? Well, Paul, as you've described, uh, there is a very gray area as to why certain documents get produced, and some get produced, or maybe the better word is generated, uh, in-house uh, for more than one reason. The case tells us that we have to be very careful about what we put in writing. You know that old saying, anything you put in writing can be used against you. So uh, what uh, is a message for in-house counsel in particular is start thinking a little more like a litigator uh, than a corporate lawyer and uh, start thinking about, uh, would I like the IRS to be looking at this document? In addition, uh, there's a, a corollary to this, and uh, I know myself, I just went to a seminar recently on something that they called metadata, M-E-T-A-D-A-T-A. And uh, that's all of the electronic evidence that uh, uh, many of us wouldn't even think about existing because we may have even never seen it on a hard piece of paper. But uh, the lesson there also is this. We have to be very careful what is being produced and generated because somebody may be asking to look at it, and if that somebody is the IRS, it might be usable against you. There's an interesting uh, test that uh, uh, the court 
suggest, and some analysts su- suggest uh, may apply, and that's something called the because of test. Uh, in other words, uh, what was the reason that a particular uh, document was produced? Was it produced uh, because it was needed for regulatory purposes, or was it produced uh, because of an anticipation of potential litigation down the line? Of course, some documents uh, may be produced for both reasons. Brian, if this ruling is allowed to stand by the uh, full uh, First Circuit, will it uh, revamp the work product test and give wide protection to company documents since the concept of, I'll put this in quotes, anticipation of litigation end quotes, is broad to include even perhaps hypothetical litigation. I would think that most lawyers and many of their clients no doubt can think of potential litigation that may result from almost any kind of transaction. Uh, that's absolutely uh, true, Paul. And it goes back to what I was saying. Uh, lawyers, including the in-house lawyers, perhaps need to be thinking a bit more like litigators well before there's any potential litigation. Perhaps they should always be anticipating litigation. I view the ruling as essentially a roadmap as to what to do to separate discoverable material from non-discoverable. And I think uh, in-house counsel in particular could be educating not just themselves, but other people in the corporation uh, as to what to put in writing and in what way, and also what labels, perhaps, should be put on it. It doesn't hurt, of course, on anything uh, to put on it a label of work product. Certainly can't hurt. Um, In the end, of course, there may still be room for judicial discretion uh, as to whether the labels are appropriate or not, Uh, but we've got to start this mindset of thinking, okay, am I producing a document, particularly one that... uh, says where we might have exposure. Am I producing that to help protect in case we have litigation down the line? The answer to that should be yes, if it's something you want to keep private. Now, for those in-house lawyers that are not uh, litigators by training and short of having a process in place of having uh, litigation uh, attorneys that work in-house kind of oversee this process, I mean, what tips do you have or suggestions do you have for you know, quote, thinking like a litigator to separ- separate the discoverable from the non-discoverable documents? Well, of course, uh, one step in the first case is that much doesn't have to be put into writing uh, that is. This uh, era of emails and uh, Twitter and this and that has so many people, including uh, professional people with, within organizations, uh, putting things in writing that in the past would have been discussed in a meeting or by telephone. So that's number one, is reminding people that every single thing that they put in writing, in a letter, in an email, in anything, number one, can be found later, and number two, could potentially uh, be used uh, against them. So it's a matter of uh, what you put in uh, writing. And and beyond that, Perhaps there should be a discussion internally about how you describe situations. Uh, For example, you want to make sure that uh, we're talking about, in all cases, tax avoidance, not tax evasion. And uh, you want to talk about uh, risk 
when, when risk is mentioned, it can be risk because the IRS may take a position adverse to us. It's not a risk because we think we're doing something wrong. So those are some examples of, of what should be put in to writing, if anything at all, how you describe it, and uh, also, as I indicated before, how you label it. Brian, before we go to a break, um, does the Ombank review pretend a refinement or even overturning of the panel's decision? I know that that's asking you to predict the future, but it is very unusual for a court to reconsider a panel uh, Ombank. Uh, yes, I mean, there's no shortage of possibilities as to what may happen as a result of that. Certainly, it's because of the loud uh, response to this ruling that uh, there's now going to be greater weight given to the result. So even if there was no change, I think, uh, from a point of view of uh, protecting our documents under work product, we're going to have much better protection by a, uh, an on bank ruling as opposed to uh, just what we have so far. And also, of course, keeping in mind that, you know, a ruling in uh, one circuit is not necessarily uh, binding in others. Very good. We're going to take a, a quick break, and when we return, we will talk more with attorney Brian Bixby of Burns and Levinson. In-house departments are under pressure like never before to cut costs and quantify value. For the last decade, that's exactly what Counsel and Call has done for Fortune 1000 companies. Whether the need is for e-discovery or contracts, IP or employment law, or anything in between, Counsel on Call's experienced attorneys provide quality legal services at tremendous cost savings. To schedule a meeting to discuss your company's situation, visit counsiloncall.com or call 866-487-7319. It will be the most profitable time you spend all year. Here on Consulting Group's legal consulting practice, a leading provider of consulting and business services to corporations and law firms helps align strategy, people, processes, and technology to meet the goals of the organization. We also help prepare and plan for all phases of discovery in a legal dispute or investigation. We establish an effective records management program that creates cost savings and enhanced productivity while minimizing risk. Check out Velocity, the first comprehensive e-discovery solution. For more information, visit us at www.huronconsultinggroup.com. Welcome back to In-House Legal. I'm Paul Boynton, host of In-House Legal. I'm joined by attorney Brian Bixby of Burns and Levinson. Brian, let's just pick up on uh, what we're talking about right before the break uh, regarding the the portent, if you will, of the en banc review uh, of the panel's ruling in the Textron case. Now, again, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball, but if you could, what are the ramifications for companies if the full court, say, upholds the panel's decision? Well, certainly if they do, then that supports the idea of uh, having a file that talks about uh, anticipation of litigation. Perhaps that can even be the label for a file, but those are going to be the documents that are, are clearly protected because there's nothing wrong with anticipating a challenge uh, to a tax position that you're taking. And if the full court were to overturn the decision and order the production of the tax accrual papers, what are the ramifications there? The ramifications of that go right to what I 
said earlier about being very careful what you put in writing in any type of uh, communication at all, because uh, that makes the argument much greater for the fact that any document that you put together because it relates to or is required by regulatory requirements is therefore discoverable. Before we uh, continue with our crystal ball gazing, in this day and age, is that realistic that, I mean, is you suggested earlier, people love to put things in writing. We're communicating electronically uh, almost as uh, easily as if we're breathing. Uh, it's it's one thing to say, be very careful about what you put in writing, but as a practical matter, is that you know something that people will pay heed to? Oh, that that's one that uh, is beyond the range of legal expertise. So I think you're going into uh, psychology, and maybe that's something for the HR department. Well, Brian, I thought you were an amateur psychologist on the side. Well, I think a lot of us lawyers are almost professional psychologists, but one of the things we learn from that is it's very hard to predict uh, individual uh, uh, outlooks on things or to control uh, how people react. Uh, sometimes being an in-house counsel in a, in a corporation is much like uh, trying to manage a law firm and that it's a little like herding cats. So I, th- I think we have to recognize we can't completely control uh, the way in which uh, people are going to be communicating in the future. Uh, but we do have to uh, try and make sure that they protect uh, those communications as much as possible. And perhaps there should even be more automatic uh, disclaimers on communications, such as you see fr- uh, frequently, um, and adding things that it's, uh, the transmission is uh, intended to be uh, you know, confidential, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and in-house counsel perhaps should review the type of protective language they put on their their letters, emails, and so on with counsel to make sure uh, that they are providing the best protection uh, for those communications, particularly the inadvertent ones. Well, very good. I think that's actually an excellent point that you can state the principle, reinforce it over and over again, and you can't hope to control people, but certainly you can help guide them. Um, what it's going go back to crystal ball gazing and part of the ruling that's a, an issue is if part of the documents in question might be work product as the textron, but if you turn it over to an auditor, is that a waiver or not? So what happens if the court says yes, textron's own documents are work product, but if they turn it over to a third party auditor, then it's a waiver. Uh, well, again, it, uh, I, I think uh, labeling what is turned over to an auditor uh, is going to help, but it is certainly true that much of what is turned over to an auditor is also part of a regulatory requirement. So um, you have to be careful what you communicate to the auditor, uh, and uh, uh, certainly uh, auditors uh, need to be given full information, but uh, if you have an internal communication that is a worst-case scenario type of situation, for example, um, is that really something that an auditor um, has to get as opposed to uh, a realistic assessment of the fact that there is some risk because the IRS uh, may challenge this type of position as opposed to uh, any specific act. And further hair-splitting, another issue in the case deals with turning over the uh, information and then uh, the auditor incorporating it into its own work papers. So let's say the court upholds the work product privilege, but says it's waived insofar as the information is incorporated into the auditor's own work papers. That will be a problem. That, well, that one is not an easy, easy uh, defense to. 
Maybe that will be uh, Textron 2 down the line. <laughs> well, speaking of Textron 2, assuming the ruling is upheld, is this an issue the U.S. Supreme Court will have to ultimately decide in view of a seemingly contrary ruling by the Fifth Circuit? Well, the Supreme Court doesn't have to do anything, and it doesn't have to hear uh, a case uh, like that. Inconsistent uh, circuit opinions are not at all uncommon. Um, uh, lawyers make a lot of uh, uh, business uh, from such things. So um, I don't think the uh, Supreme Court necessarily uh, will address it. But uh, for people who want certainty in, in decisions, I suppose they might hope for it. But you have to be careful what you ask for, because the ruling you might get from the Supreme Court might not be the one you want. Brian, before we go, one last question. Does this case only impact tax disputes with the IRS, or does it uh, potentially have broader implications? Well, you know, litigants in civil matters uh, can try to use the concepts of this case uh, in a certain way to support their position, and the opposition will say that the holding applies just to tax disputes. So um, the Textron holding, some people will try to uh, say, well, you know, this, although the facts may be different in my case, uh, the principle is the same, and people who want the opposite of you will say, well, it's a narrow holding uh, just relating to tax disputes. Uh, that's the beauty of uh, litigation is that uh, there is no certainty in the result. That's right. Just uh, continue juicy tidbits for uh, good legal analysis. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, before we sign off, if you could provide our listeners with your contact information. Thank you, Paul. Uh, uh, I'm Brian Bixby at Burns and Levinson of uh, Boston and Rhode Island, and uh, my uh, phone number is 617-345-3360, and my email address is bbixby at burnslev, B-U-R-N-S-L-E-V dot com. Thanks again, Brian. We hope you'll join us for another In-House Legal show. Thanks for listening today. I'm Paul Boynton, host of In-House Legal your online source of the news and information in-house lawyers need to stay ahead of the game. Thanks for listening to In-House Legal with attorney Paul Boynton. Hot topics for the in-house lawyer, legally speaking. We hope you'll listen to the next edition right here on the Legal Talk Network.